This is tragic theater. In the previous episode, Father Marcello's group employed the radical theory in an attempt to bait the evil entity into releasing Annie from its possession. Tragic Theater Chapter 14, The Ascending Christ It was a ferocious growl. The victim's head stretched forward as if wanting to break free from the neck. The rest of the body convulsed rapidly like a patient under severe shock. Father Marcello immediately joined Mick and Gil underneath Annie's violently shaking body, ready to catch in case she suddenly falls down. They watched the horror. Helpless to do anything else? Bishop had clearly yelled, I command you, in the name of the Lord, spare this woman from harm. You may not take her life away. Leave this servant of God in peace. He repeated this over and over. Annie watched in fear as the beast inside her growled a second time and much louder. She thought this could be the end as her body not possibly stand any further abuse. Sooner or later her neck might simply snap and it would be all over. But a strange thing happened. She saw something rising out of her head. It looked like a shadow, much darker than the blackness of the surrounding, and it was leading her body fast. With it went the horrible features that had altered her face. In an instant, her body changed dramatically. Her face returned to its youthful age. Her normal complexion came back. The fangs disappeared, though her bloodied lips remained. Then her head went limp and bowed forward. Seemingly lifeless. Father Marcello and the bishop never saw the shadow's departure but witnessed the remarkable transformation of the victim's face. It was an unexpected development, though a welcome one. They suspect the demon must have left. But to their disappointment, Annie remained suspended. Beyond their grasp, they should have known it was not going to give her back easily. As they pondered their next move, the priest whispered some instructions to Gil. A moment later, Gil took Mick and left. The two hastily proceeded to the backstage. Father Marcello wondered if the radical theory had indeed caused the demon to depart. If so, then they were able to draw out the evil beast as planned. However, Annie continued to remain under its control. If that was it, then they came up short. They failed. Annie looked at her motionless body. From where she stood she saw that her hair completely covered her bowed head. The sight reminded her of something in the past. It was previously at the back of her head. But now she remembered. When she and Father Marcello used to talk inside the UP chapel she would regularly stare at the big crucifix. It hanged at the center of the chapel above the altar, suspended from cables attached to the ceiling. From outside it gave the illusion of a cross floating in the air, she was so drawn to it because of its unique, double-faced design. On one side, facing north, was the sculpture of the ascending Christ. Back to back, on the opposite side, was the figure of the dying Christ. She and Father Marcello would sit at the pew behind the altar. From there, she faced the side of the dying Christ. Staring at it, she found solace on what the priest had constantly preached, that not even the Son of God was spared from violence as proven by his suffering and death on the cross. Like Christ, she too, had her own cross to bear. Annie found it a beautiful work of art, the sculpture of the dying Christ. The artist's rendition perfectly captured Jesus' suffering, from his being nailed to the cross to the way his head was bowed and hair concealing the face. Just like what she was staring at now? That's it. She thought, as if a light bulb inside her head was suddenly turned on, illuminating her whole world. All the confusion was slowly fading. Everything was beginning to unravel. A second later, it became very clear. Why this was all happening to her? The answer hung before her very eyes. It's the cross. 
This realization brought an unbearable heaviness in her heart. She felt the full weight of her sorrow buried inside her chest. The awful truth had finally dawned, and it was there all along. Hard it may be to accept but she brought this whole mess upon herself. She presented an easy target and the devil was only too willing to oblige and place her in a situation straight from her inner consciousness. For deep within, Annie had never totally gotten over the trauma of being the victim of a heinous crime and the resulting death of her friend. To this day, she was still being tortured by the events of eight years past. She tried to forget but the nightmares did not go away. For too long she wallowed in self-pity. Resigned to the fact that she could never escape her personal calvary, she had unknowingly crucified herself to that same cross in the chapel. Suffering a painful and slow death. Subconsciously, she let herself take the place of the dying Christ. It was deja vu to see with her own eyes what had often appeared in her dreams. The setting may be different but all others were the same. The way her palms opened. The way her head was bowed. The way she hung above the ground. It was everything she had imagined, for she faithfully portrayed the dying Christ. Then she remembered the other side of the cross, the ascending Christ, the sculpture of the resurrected Jesus rising up to heaven. She did not see that side as much and never paid attention to it. Until now. Arise from darkness. The words echoed in her mind. Annie never gave herself the chance to rise up from the pits of despair. She never tried to leave it all behind and start a new life somewhere. She resigned herself eternally consumed by sorrow and hate. But now, at long last, she stood determined. Maybe it was time to break free from the shackles of the past. Maybe it was time to get rid of the burden of the cross. Maybe it was time to see herself on the side of the risen Christ. Instantly, she knew that was her salvation. And now she believed. With resolve and determination, Annie walked forward past the bishop. She was heeding the bishop's call to reclaim her body. She would fight to resurrect her life no matter what. Annie stopped in front of Father Marcello. She stood before the priest, face to face, and looked into his eyes. He was still clueless of her presence. She saw the tears that he held back. At that moment, she wanted to tell him something that she could never say before. She leaned and whispered to his left ear, hoping he would somehow sense her presence. From her mouth came silent words from a screaming heart. Then she stepped back. Raising her arms to the side, she tipped her head up. And closed her eyes. Those who were unhurt quickly got up to assist the ones who were. Marlowe was lying on his stomach and seething in pain. Arlene and Eldon slowly removed his shirt, careful to avoid contact with the affected skin. They saw his back with spots of red. They let him lay there with his shirt off. Erwin held up his nose to stop the bleeding. Norman wiped his face to get rid of any shards of broken glass before opening his eyes. Luckily, he escaped injury. Lana and Army helped Teresa and Ruth to their feet. Ruth had a slight gush on her forehead. They failed to notice Leto who laid silent on his side. Eldon saw him and went to his aid. He examined him for any head wounds but did not see one. Norman came to assist. They rolled Leto to his back. But he soon moved on his own. He opened his eyes and slowly got up. Are you okay? Norman asked. Leto nodded. Looking dazed. Where's Ed? Norman looked out for the other guard but without his glasses, he could not see very far in the dark. Ed? Ed? He called out. There was no answer. Norman looked around and called him again, afraid that something bad might have happened to him. There was still no response. He turned to Eldon and, to his surprise, saw him in a state of shock. Eldon was staring at Leto's pointed gun. Leto? Norman asked. What are you doing? The guard did not answer. Instead, 
He pointed his 38 caliber revolver to Norman and backed away. Everyone's attention was on him by now. Directing with his gun, and not mincing any word, Leto herded them all together to the spot where Marlowe was lying down. Everyone else was too frightened to speak. They had never been faced with the prospect of being shot at. They saw the sudden change in the guard's demeanor. The look in his eyes was sharp and penetrating. He had a sinister grin on his face that reflected his intentions. It was obvious his body had been taken over. The other guard, Ed, had lost his cap when the wind blew it away. He ran after it down to the bottom of the driveway. Getting back to the building, he saw Leto pointing his gun towards Norman and the others. Carefully, he drew his own revolver and quietly sneaked up behind his colleague to hear what was going on. Erwin saw Ed and began to speak out loud, Leto, you're not yourself. An evil spirit has possessed you. Put the gun down. Believing what he just heard, Ed sought cover from the wide concrete column and pointed his firearm at Leto. Put your gun down. Ed yelled. Leto turned around and, instead of giving up, fired at his colleague. The burst of gunfire sent the group scampering down to the floor. The shot barely missed. Ed fired back and hit him in the right shoulder. Leto dropped his handgun and fell down. Ed quickly approached and retrieved the gun. But Leto was not out yet. His left hand got hold of Ed's leg and pulled it up. This caused Ed to lose his balance and land on his butt. He instinctively threw both firearms away and wrestled to his feet. Norman, Eldon and Irwin came over to help. They pinned Leto to the ground. But the injured guard had the strength of several men. He attempted to get up despite being held down by four people. Ed, a former policeman, carried with him a pair of handcuffs. He drew these out as they forcibly pulled Leto's arms behind the back and placed the cuffs around his wrists. Eldon removed his belt and tied it tightly around Leto's legs. Unable to free himself, the man screamed in absolute rage. But the voice was not his. It rather sounded like the one inside Annie's body. She thought of nothing else but rising from the darkness. Out of nowhere, a bright light had suddenly shone and she was slowly being drawn to it. It was not another candle but something much, much brighter. She could not see beyond the light. Nevertheless, she had a pretty good idea what it was. She readily opened her heart to accept her fate. She moved closer and closer until the light disappeared. And the blackness returned. Oddly, something was different. Her head was in pain. She felt tightness around the arms and legs. All her muscles were aching. Her skin was hurting all over. The taste of blood was evident on her sore lips. Annie opened her eyes and was slightly disoriented. Father Marcello was there, looking up. She was high above him. Slowly nudging her head up, she saw Bishop Aguili looking at her as well. At once she realized that she was back in her own flesh. However, she could barely keep her eyes open as she was so weak. Her body had been drained of energy. Gil and Mick reappeared carrying a ten-foot wooden ladder. They placed it standing next to Annie in a bid to try to pull her down. As the two secured it in place Father Marcello hurriedly climbed up. When his feet reached the fifth rung he got hold of Annie's legs. But, before he could do anything else, a strong wind came from the rear and blew. It instantly extinguished all the flames from the candles. The force made Gil and Mick lose grip, sending the ladder together with Father Marcello to the ground. Bishop Aquili caught him before he hit the floor, but the ladder hit both of them and they fell back, losing their balance in the darkness. Bishop Aquili landed on his side. The crucifix he held took the brunt of the impact when he tried to cushion his fall on the descending steps with his right hand. The wooden cross broke in two with the brass figurine of Jesus Christ separating free. With flashlights turned on, Gil helped him get up while Mick attended to Father Marcello. 
they set the dusty ladder aside. Gil recovered the bishop's eyeglasses and handed it to him. The wind was still blowing and the howling sound drowned out their voices. Are you okay, Your Excellency? He loudly asked. I'm alright. Bishop had clearly slightly sprained his hand but the greater pain was seeing the broken crucifix. He slowly picked up the shattered pieces with suppressed emotion. The memory of his departed mother at once filled his mind. Gil saw him wipe his eyes with his fingers. Father Marcello narrowly escaped injury. His head almost hit the armrest of one of the seats on his way down. He got to his feet thinking about their few remaining options. The wind was not letting up as it continued to blow hard. Annie found herself caught in between two opposing forces. The blowing wind was pushing her back away from the cross but the vines that held her arms and legs were keeping her in place. This resulted in the vines sinking deeper onto her skin, thereby further hindering the blood circulation in the affected areas. Her hands and feet started to feel up. That added to her agony. Annie could take no more. With one last effort she yelled, Take me down from this cross. They all heard the words. The voice was not of the beast but of Annie herself. She was back. However, what she said did not make any sense. Father Marcello wondered if he heard right. What cross? He asked aloud, looking at his mentor. What cross? Quick thinking, Bishop Aquili immediately walked towards the opposite side of Annie's suspended body. He brought out his bottle of holy water and sprinkled her behind. In the name of God. He declared, I banish the unseen cross that holds this woman in bondage, as only Jesus, the Son of God, who truly died on the cross, can lay claim to the symbol of Christ's ultimate sacrifice. As each sprinkle touched an invisible target before her back, white smoke appeared to rise. The bishop aimed the holy water higher and repeated his call. In the name of God, I banish the unseen cross that holds this woman in bondage, as only the Son of God, who died on the cross, can lay claim to the symbol of Christ's ultimate sacrifice. He trained the water on her legs, arms and head. The spots that went up in smoke increased in number. A pattern was beginning to emerge. It resembled a giant crucifix. In the name of God, I banish the cross that holds this woman in bondage, as only the Son of God, who died on the cross, can lay claim to the symbol of Christ's ultimate sacrifice. Annie's legs began to swing forward, carried by the wind. The unseen vine that held them together had turned into smoke. Father Marcello braced for her fall as they waited underneath. In God's name, I banish the cross that holds this woman in bondage, as only the Son of God, who died on the cross, can lay claim to the symbol of Christ's ultimate sacrifice. Annie felt her arms about to break free. Clouds of smoke hampered her vision. Seconds later, she descended abruptly. She did not fall straight down. The wind had pushed her a little forward. She landed on the waiting arms of Nick, Gil, and Father Marcello. Due to her weight, all three men fell to the ground. Her left cheek bumped the priest's forehead, knocking her cold in the process. Get her and let's go. Hurry. Bishop Aquili came over and directed Gil to carry the unconscious victim. Without a second to spare, they all rushed for the lobby doors to bring her out of the building. But the doors would not budge when the bishop tried to push them open. The others joined in, pushing with all their strength, to no avail. How about the doors on the other end? They're chained. Father Marcello answered. We checked earlier, even the emergency exits. This is the only way out, Your Excellency. The wind changed direction and blew towards the rear. At that, refusing to give up, they began pounding at the door in the hope that someone would hear. All of a sudden Annie's eyes opened, the eyes of the beast burning with fire. With one swift motion, her right hand went up and took hold of Gil's neck, squeezing it hard. 
The 5 foot 9 inch, 185 pound man went down on his knees gasping for breath.